apple a day keeps the doctor away, but have you considered that your website might also need a checkup? There's a lot of marketing advice out there, but if you don't have a killer website, none of that matters. Your website is the last stop a client makes before they reach out to you, and if it sucks, you're dead in the water. Words are a super effective way to bring people into your funnel and up your conversion rate. Copy that converts sends the message that you have the solution to your customer's problem, but you can also send the message that you actually see them. Taylor De La Fuente is an award-winning writer, champion for inclusive language, and the owner of Lemon Tree Editorial, and she is here today to tell us how it is. As a website copywriter serving the wedding industry, Taylor writes authentic and inclusive web copy for wedding pros who want to sell their services while they sleep. Before starting Lemon Tree Editorial, she worked in journalism, SEO, and marketing. And Taylor has a message that every business owner needs to hear today, like right now today. So pull up a chair or snuggle on the couch and check out this not-to-be-missed episode of the Workshop Weekly Podcast. Let's do it. You're listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. Around here, we believe that taking imperfect action rules. So we're creating space for you to dive in and fast track your success one workshop at a time. Now, refill your coffee cup, grab your notebook, and get ready to join in on your weekly training, listen to meaningful conversation, and learn from industry experts. Here's your host, Kelly Lawson. Hello, Taylor. Welcome to the show. I'm really excited to level up our websites today. How are you? Oh, thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm really excited. And I am also pumped to talk about this topic because I feel like websites sometimes get glossed over or overlooked. So here we are shining the light. Yeah, really. They should never be an afterthought, really, because, well, you're going to tell us why. So the first thing I want to do, though, is hear about who Taylor is in your words and what brought you to being the copywriter and website expert that you are today. Yeah. So I'm Taylor. My business is Lemon Tree Editorial. I am a website copywriter who specializes in the wedding industry. So if you serve a couple on their happy day or if you work with wedding pros, like maybe you're a coach for wedding pros or something like that. I work with you and occasionally others too, but mostly like that's what I specialize in. And I have always been a writer. I have a journalism degree. I was one of those people who like went to college on day one and left on graduation day with the same major. Like I always knew that I wanted to be a writer. So I have a journalism degree. I was a newspaper reporter for several years. Then I switched to the marketing side of things. I worked at an SEO agency. I worked in-house marketing too. So like I've kind of spanned the entire spectrum of content writing, which is writing words that educate and copywriting, which is writing words that sell. And I've always kind of freelanced on the side. And a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to make my little side gig a real business and got legit. And then a few years after that, I went full time and this is what I do all day, every day now. Amazing. And I know that you talk a lot about the difference between regular content copywriting and conversion copywriting. And I think that that's an important place to start. So do you mind talking about the difference between those two? 
Yeah. So again, copy is words that sell or are words that sell versus content words that educate. So examples of content would be like a blog or a white paper or a case study versus copy would be like a Facebook ad or something, basically anything on your website, like a sales page or a homepage things like that. So there's a difference there. But then within that, you can segment out even further where conversion copywriting is getting people to actually, the word convert just means do something, whatever you want them to do. So sometimes the conversion that you want on a certain page or in a certain area is to sign up for your email list. Sometimes it's to schedule free consultation with you. Sometimes it's to go ahead and buy that thing that you made that you have for sale, whatever it is. So your entire website, every word on there is considered to be copy because all of it, the goal of all of it is to sell you and your services or your products. But conversion copy specifically is really what's happening on the sales page, like actively pushing somebody to buy this thing from you and not from somebody else. And here's what the value you bring and why you need it. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that it's probably a common thing for people. I'll speak for myself, at least for me. Sometimes I feel like I'm not being polite on my website if I am being salesy. And I think there's some stigma around being pushy or salesy. But it's no secret that words really can persuade someone. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little to the method that people can use to really augment their ability to convert using words on their website. I would agree too. like being persuasive and selling does not come naturally to most people. And I think there's sort of it become like a taboo topic, almost like this icky or like cringeworthy feeling of like, Ooh, I'm talking about myself too much and I'm pushing this thing on other people and they don't need it. And I think that's probably, Kelly, like the biggest mistake that I see on people's websites and hear when they're talking about like their problems is they're thinking about it backwards. So instead of thinking about you, hi, I'm Kelly, I'm selling this, I want you to listen to my podcast, I want all this stuff to happen, me, 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 flip it around. Your website is not about you and it is not for you. It is for your customer and what they want and what they need and what problems they have and how you solve that problem. And to be honest, in the very beginning, they don't really care who solves it as long as somebody solves it. They're clearly interested in maybe you are the person to solve it for them. But in the beginning, like your website's job is to tell them, hey, I get you. I know that you're here for this reason. You have this problem. And I I have a solution to that. Let me tell you about it. Here's all the specifics of the solution. And here's like the value that I bring that other people don't. And hey, by the way, I'm the person bringing that solution. Learn a little bit more about me. That's a better way to approach the writing overall. So that's like one of the biggest issues that I find is people are kind of worried about being pushy or salesy. But if you just take it from the perspective of helping somebody rather than trying to sell them, just just serve them, then the selling will come naturally because you're solving a problem that they have and makes it easier. Yeah, and otherwise you're withholding a potential solution from someone who really needs it. So when you flip it on its head like that, it becomes a little easier to say like, you know what, who am I to hold them back from this solution that I have to offer? They need it. And like you said, it's about them. So put it out there and put it out there in a way that's easy for them to understand and compelling and convincing. Yeah, totally. And it's easy because some people are service providers like myself. Some people are product makers. And so sometimes I feel like product makers get 
left behind a little bit and they feel like, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't have a service, but your product is still solving somebody's problem. Whether you crochet potholders and they're trying to get something out of their oven and they need protection and they want it to be beautiful, whether you make beautiful candles that brighten somebody's day or remind them of a certain memory or make them feel a certain way, like problem, quote unquote, can be broad. And it's not necessarily like what you would think it would be. But every single thing that you are selling out there, whether it's a service or product is solving a problem in some way, shape or form. Absolutely. So I know that we talk in the online sales world quite a bit about sales funnels. And we all know that our website fits in there somewhere and our social media fits in there somewhere. But I'm not sure that listeners are really clear on what exactly a sales funnel is and where exactly their website fits in the scheme of a sales funnel. So would you mind talking a little bit about that? Absolutely. Think of quite literally a funnel that you'd have in your kitchen. It's like an upside down triangle shape. So it's bigger at the top and a smaller at the bottom. So the concept of the sales funnel is you get new customers in at the top where it's bigger. And then over time, they leave your funnel for whatever reason. They realize that you're not a good fit for them because you have mismatched styles or because you have mismatched price points to compare to their budget, like whatever the reason is. Over time, people leave the funnel. And that's a good thing because as they move farther and farther down that upside down triangle, they are becoming a better and a better and a better client for you, regardless of whether you're selling products or services, they become a better option for you. And so the top of the sales funnel is where you're getting the most exposure to new people and they might be a good fit for you and they might not. So if you run a Facebook ad or an Instagram ad or a Google ad, that is considered the top of the sales funnel because you're just getting exposure to a lot of people and some of them might be a good fit, some of them might not. Social media is also on the top of that list. So if you're on Instagram and you're posting using, using hashtags, you're on Twitter posting using hashtags, people are searching for that hashtag, they're finding you that way. And again, like over time, they'll funnel, potentially funnel out or stay in the funnel and they know that they're a better fit for you. So social media is at the top of the funnel. The middle of the funnel would be things like your email list. Somebody opts in because they found you on Instagram and now they figured out that you have a freebie for your email list. So they opt in for that. They read that. They like that. Now they're on your emails. And same thing, like they are self-selecting. Am I a good fit for this person? Yes or no. And then the bottom of your sales funnel is your website. And so it is the last place that people go before they buy from you, whether it's a service or a product. So I don't know if it's controversial, but it's just kind of contradictory to what a lot of like marketing gurus, quote unquote, say out there is like social media, social media, be on Clubhouse, be on Instagram, all of this stuff. And that's great. You should do those things, but you should work on your website first because your website is on the bottom of that sales funnel and it's a, it's where the sale is happening. So if you've got an amazing Instagram, you spend all this time building and all these photos and graphics and whatever, and then people get to your website and it looks like it was built in 1985, they're going to go, oh, this is shady and they're going to leave and they're, you're going to lose the sale. So the bottom of your sales funnel is your website. And then in and of itself, a website can be a funnel. Your homepage is where the most eyeballs go. And then as 
somebody becomes more and more interested in buying from you, they eventually make it to the contact page, which is the bottom of your website, if your website was a funnel. So when you go through the funnel, like the very last thing is going from a potential customer to an actual customer, somebody buying from you. So again, like it's really important that you have good copy on your website because that is where the sale is happening. Yeah. And it sounds like we should be paying super special attention to our homepage because like you just said, that's the page on your site that's going to get the most traffic. That's probably most commonly where people end up after they've gone through your social media posts or found you in whatever way. You've done all this work to get the person to your website. Now they're on your homepage. So what can we do to structure a really good homepage so that we are inviting people to stay and look around and buy? (laughs) Exactly. I love that you use the word invite because I compare websites to houses a lot. And so like your website is your digital storefront for your business. You don't have a brick and mortar location, or even if you do, you still have an online home for your business, which is your website. So that homepage is like your foyer in your house. Somebody walks into the foyer and you're saying, hi, I'm Kelly. Welcome to my home. And let me tell you a little bit about what you're going to see over here. We have the living room and over here, there's the powder room and over here is the kitchen. You need to kind of show somebody new around your house. And then you need to tell them where to go next. You're inviting them, hey, come sit with me in the kitchen and let's chat for a while. And so your homepage is going to do the same thing. It's kind of like a table of contents almost where you welcome somebody and you say, hey, here's what we're about here. And by the way, we sell this service or we sell this product. Come over here and learn about that. By the way, I'm the person who's providing that service or making that product come over here this way. And then your page should always end with a call to action, a CTA section. Every single page should have one of these, especially your homepage. And typically on your homepage, it's either you're sending somebody to a contact page or you're sending somebody to opt in for your email list or something like that, or sign up for a challenge or like whatever, some kind of thing. So yeah, when you get on your homepage, it should start with some kind of a compelling headline that's showing off what you do, how you do it in a unique way, like who you serve, sort of answering those key questions. That way, if somebody never scrolled past that, they would know, oh, I'm in the right place. And then beyond that, you kind of need like those teasers for those other sections. And then you end with a CTA. So you bought a fancy camera or you're thinking about buying one because it's clear to you that there is no shortage of beautiful moments or things in your life that you'd like to capture beautifully. But the record scratches because all the dials and buttons and settings are standing between you and your life in stunning photos. Well, my friend, I have just the fix, the ultimate photography starter kit. This free resource includes a recommended equipment list, quick start checklist, and a beginner's guide to creating natural poses and candid moments to give you the confidence you need to dust off that fancy camera and start documenting your moments so they can last forever. The Ultimate Photography Starter Kit is completely free and it is everything you need to get started. So grab yours today at kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. That's kellylawson.ca slash starter kit. And I can't wait to see your framers in my scroll. 
I've heard it said before that it's really important what you choose to put above the fold. So can you talk a little bit about what above the fold means and what should go there and why? Yeah. So I love the term above the fold because it goes back to my newspaper days. It is a newspaper term. So if you receive like the New York Times, for example, in the mail, it's quite literally folded in half. And so the above the fold is where it's, it's got the masthead. It says the New York Times and the most important stories. Like if you read nothing else, you need to read this headline goes there. And it's very much the same way with your website. Whatever, when you pull up your website on your laptop or on your phone, whatever loads in that first screen without you without you scrolling, that's considered above the fold. So again, the most important thing, if nobody scrolled any further than that, they would need to know what you're about, who you are, what you're about. So that's where your headline and a, a subheader go. And I like to recommend people that you do one clever and one clear. So let's take my own website, for example, and you don't have to have a headline and a subheadline, but really what I'm getting at is you want to get across in a clever way and a clear way what you do and who you do it for. And if you can, this is where the clever comes in, a little bit of personality about how you do it. So on my own website, for example, if you go to the homepage, it says Lemony Fresh website copy for wedding pros. So I'm telling you what I'm doing, which is I'm writing website copy. I'm telling you who I'm doing it for. It's for wedding pros. And I'm being a little bit clever and telling you about how I do it. It's Lemony Fresh. My business name is Lemon Tree Editorial. So it's kind of like a little bit clever, but it's also clear. You need both to have really good copy. But if you can only muster up one, always choose clear because a confused customer is not a customer. They'll never buy from you because they don't get it. So in that top section, you need something a little bit clever, a little bit clear to say who you are, what you offer, who you offer to, maybe how you do it differently. And then the first section of text right below that is going to be almost like your approach to that work, like your special sauce, what makes you different. So in my case, again, like my little paragraph on my homepage right below that says words matter, but duh, you already know this. You have a voice. And I kind of go through like, you are approaching things differently. You might be a florist who hates flowers or you might be a bald hairstylist, but you have like a perspective and you just have a problem, which is that you don't really know how to get across your perspective in like a badass thought leader kind of way. And so that's where I come in. So again, I'm not starting with me, which goes back to what I said earlier. Your website is not about you. It's about your customer. So think about who are they? What problem do they have? Tell them that you get it and then show them, hey, by the way, I can like solve your problem for you. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that too often we probably get kind of caught up in our own world and our own jargon and our own way of thinking about how what we're selling and what it means to us that there's even like subtle things that can happen as a result of that. And so I've heard it said before, and I think it's worth reinforcing that if you're unsure about how you should structure your website or what words you should say or where you should say them or what your menu should have on it, 
I think a really good way to answer those questions is to get somebody who you would consider like an ideal customer to actually navigate your website and watch them do it. Because I think that's something probably that a lot of us would skip or think would be just like a waste of time or silly to do, but it can be really insightful. And I guess I'll just speak for myself, like on a daily basis, we're coming upon new websites every day, right? Like we're searching things or whatever, and we land on a website. And as soon as you're not really sure where to go or you hit what feels like a roadblock, you've clicked away. And probably the person who built the website doesn't even know that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally recommend that too to people is ask your partner, ask a friend, ask a coworker, ask whomever, a mentor, somebody to look at your site. And if you can watch them, that would be great. If not, they can always record their screen as they go through. There's also some free apps and technology that you can use. Like there's a program called Hotjar, H-O-T-J-A-R, that does have a free plan. It's like a website heat mapping software. And so you basically put this code on your site and then it will like record sessions anonymously. Of course, you don't know who the people are, but it will record like, let's say 500 sessions and then it will give you the data and it will basically make a heat map of here's where people read and then they stopped reading at this point or like here's where somebody tried to click, but there's no button there. So maybe like you learn some things from that. If you've got a photo and it has words over top and then somebody was trying trying to click there, but that photo is not a button. It doesn't go anywhere. That just tells you, oh, that was confusing for somebody. They thought that was going to be a button, but it's not. And so I'll put a hyperlink with this photo. So that way, the next time somebody comes there and they naturally want to click there, they'll go to this other page. I never would have thought of that before. But so if you want to be techie about it, you can get something like Hotjar, which does have a free version to try something like that. But you could also just ask a friend, ask a coworker, and just have them record their screen or you be there and just ask them like, what questions do they have? Did they find anything confusing? Things like that. Yeah. Like, where did you get stuck? That kind of thing. And I think I have an example in my mind of how this can look because as someone who fancies a nice interior, right? And you taught, you used the analogy of the house earlier. So I kind of like that one. When I come to a website and just recently I went to like an interior design website and when I got there, the next question, I was like, you know, I want to look for furniture. Sort of like I clicked through the menu and the next question was, what brand of furniture do you want to look at? And from my perspective, I was like, no, I want to look at living room furniture or kitchen furniture or bedroom furniture. Like, I don't know what brand it is. I just know the room of my house. So I think it's like potentially a subtle example like that. I think makers also may be guilty of categorizing their, let's say, jewelry, for example, where maybe the person comes on your website wants to see your necklaces or they want to see your earrings. They don't necessarily want to see a specific collection or maybe the vice versa. I'm just kind of making up examples now, but these little subtle things matter and I can't wait to try out Hotjar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a cool program. It like heat map for a website. Why didn't I think of that? But that makes total sense. Like if you could see where people were, were clicking and I will say your point about makers is definitely true. It's service people too, but you just, you kind of get in your own head a little bit. So like my mother-in-law is a maker. She makes stencils for paper crafters and she does a new release every month where she'll get like 10 new stencil designs that come out every month. And on her website, they're listed by March 2021 release, February 2021 release, January 2021 release. 
And that's great for somebody who's been following you for like five years and they look forward to your monthly releases. But if I just am Joe Schmo who Googled and found you, then I don't know what that means. Like I'm just looking for a stencil that says happy birthday or with polka dots or something. And so she does have both capabilities, but it is something that comes to mind a lot where people kind of get in their own heads and their own rhythms about, well, this is how I do things. Well, that's great, but let's take a step back for a minute and think about your customer. Because again, you're not doing the thing that you do for fun. You probably would because you love it so much. But like, we're all here. We're all business owners. We're all here to make money. No shame in that. Let's try and think about that piece a little bit more. How can we make our customer journey easier? Because the easier and less confusing it is, the more likely they are to buy from you. Absolutely. And you don't know what you don't know, right? Like we first build our websites based on a whole lot of assumptions and that's fine, I think, at the start. But then once you have people interacting with your website, it's really important to kind of circle back and follow up and measure the results of the assumptions that you made when you put your website out into the world. And what I like about Hotjar, as you've described it, I haven't tried it yet myself, obviously, but it's that you're actually measuring the data based on people who actually are landing on your site. So that's good data to have because those are real people who really came to you for a reason rather than maybe asking your spouse who would never be your customer to like weigh in on kind of their experience. So I really am excited to try Hotjar. So I've heard it said too that your about page is a really important and maybe the second most popular. I'll let you speak to like the statistics of things, but I've heard it said that it's a pretty popular place where people land as well. And I know that there's like some do's and don'ts for that part of your website. Yeah, totally. So in my opinion, there are four pages that every single website should have, and they need to be separate pages. When I say page, I mean it has its own URL. So kellylawson.com slash about, kellylawson.com slash services slash podcast. Those are all individual pages. So you need a homepage, the place where somebody lands, the the foyer of your house. They come in and they say, cool, here I am. Let me see what's around. You need a about page because people buy from people, not companies, not brands. They want to buy from you, a real human. So you need an about page. You need some kind of a services or products page. If you are a maker and you have products, then typically your products will all have individual pages, but you need some kind of a landing page that says, hey, here's the products that I make. And then the fourth one is you need a contact page because people are going to be looking to reach out with you. Maybe if you make a product, they're less likely to use that. But if you are a service provider like me, absolutely, you need a contact page because that is truly the bottom, really the bottom of the entire sales funnel where that's typically the last place they go before they inquire to hire you. So you need those four pages. The about page is a very important one and one that a lot of people skip over because again, in the beginning, we all pretty much DIY our websites and we feel awkward talking about ourselves and we don't know what to say and we don't like having our picture taken and we don't know what to put on there. But you're right, there are some do's and don'ts. The biggest again, mistake that I see is people don't put their full name on their about page, which is such a small thing, Kelly, but it makes such a huge difference. Because let's say that I found your podcast on Spotify and I was listening and I thought that you were really cool, but like I was driving or something and I didn't remember the name of the podcast. I just remembered that you were Kelly Lawson and you were the host. I would go home and Google Kelly Lawson podcast and then hopefully 
weekly, the workshop weekly would show up. If you're saying I'm Kelly Lawson on the workshop weekly website, if you don't ever say that, then people can't use that search term to find you. And that is like one of the best search terms that you will ever have from an SEO perspective, because it's unique to you. How many other Kelly Lawson's are out there? How many other Kelly Lawson's have podcasts? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, totally. And I recently had an experience like that myself. I came across somebody who was selling something to photographers. And when I saw it on social media, it was a sponsored post. I actually can't even remember what the title of the business was. That was like my first sign that like, oh, but it was like something togs. So as you know, probably in the wedding industry, togs is like a shortened way of saying photographer. It's meant to be catchy, but it's entirely kind of an industry term. And I can't say that I would ever sit down to Google and search XYZ for togs. Like I just wouldn't do that. And so this was the name of the person's business, but I had to dig really deep to find the name of the person who was delivering the service. And I'm not sure that many people would take the time to do that. And so I felt like that whole thing was just like a hit and a miss or just to exemplify what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. People want to buy from people, not from companies. We want a personal interaction, especially where I work in the wedding industry. This is somebody you're inviting into your private life to meet your family, to be there on your special day, to see you in your underwear sometimes, like depending on what they do. It's a very personal thing. And so I don't want to hire Joe Schmo. I want to hire Kelly because I feel like I know you because I have been following you on Instagram and I signed up for your email list. And now I have been on your website poking around and we had a consultation call, like all of these things. It's a personal interaction, a personal transaction. So it's important to have your name on there for searchability, for that trust factor. People feel like they're starting to connect with you on the same vein. I see this a lot. People don't have a picture of themselves on their about page, but you need one. You need it. It is a non-negotiable. And I'm sorry if you don't like having your photo taken, but you need one because again, people buy from people. They want to know if they're going to inquire with you for a service and then you're going to meet up with them for coffee. They want to know what you look like. So that way they can wave and say hi. It just helps people feel like they can relate to you. And if you're just starting out or early on, there's a few things that you can do to get a professional photo, which I always recommend something professional, especially if you don't like having your photo taken, then actually invest in a professional branding session where you can get all dressed up and have your hair done and maybe have some makeup on and feel awesome about yourself because those are going to be the pictures that are going to make you feel comfortable sharing with people. But I mean, if you're desperate, you can have a friend or a partner take a picture of you. You could use a really good selfie that's really well lit temporarily. You can maybe do a trade with somebody so that way you provide a service or product and they take some branding photos of you when you're just getting started. There's a lot of things that you can do. You can use a behind the scenes photo of you making your product in your studio, or you can use, if you're a wedding photographer, you can take a photo from your own wedding and put that on there, like anything. Yeah. And I think too, like a lot of first impressions are made on the internet as well, right? So I would go as far as to say, like, if you're just taking a really quick haphazard snap with your smartphone, that's not well lit and blurry, 
it might cause people who come upon that to wonder what other like things you're not putting attention to detail into. So I think in first impressions are important. I think it's why we don't wear like stained shirts and dirty pants or whatever to an initial client meeting and that kind of thing. So I guess probably the same rules apply when it comes to, I guess, the visual of your website. Yeah, totally. So are there any other mistakes that people make on their about page? Those are the biggest two. And I like to always start with those because they are an easy fix, right? Like you could be listening to this podcast right now and hit pause and go look on your own site and change it really quick. Problem solved. There's always going to be more tangible things. I will say the about page is probably the hardest page to write because there's really no rule book on like a good about page versus a bad about page. And it depends on you. If you have a team, like you could choose to include your team. You could choose not to include your team. You could have a bio for yourself as the owner. You could have a love letter from you as the owner to your couples or your clients. I mean, there's so many different things you can include. People like to include their values, where their business name came from, how they got started. All of those things are fair game for an about page, but it's not a one size fits all thing. So I will say like, your about page can definitely be a hard one for sure. Yeah. And I think probably what it all comes down to is what does your target customer, your ideal client want to see or care about? Because I know that you just mentioned values and there's definitely circumstances where a customer is going to want to see that your values align before they enter a transactional relationship with you. But maybe there's other customers that really don't care and think that that's just too much information or whatever. So I think really the answers are often found in what your ideal customer or client cares about. So for anyone who's listening and going like, I have no idea, like what's the limit? Really like go back and ask the questions to your ideal customer, find out what they care about and all the answers are often right there. So Taylor, I know you also talk a lot about inclusiveness with website copy and with websites in general. And I think that's a really super important topic. And I wanted to finish with this topic because I think it is the most important one. So let's transition into that and talk a little bit about inclusiveness with websites. Yes. So inclusivity on your websites. I'm glad that you brought this up now because we were just talking about the about page and I gave the example of your values. And so like that's something that I value and is important part of just me and how I operate as a person, but also how I run my business. So I don't know why it's so important to me. I'm, if you've ever taken the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram one, which is all about like truth, justice, fairness, equity, like all of that. And it's just kind of how I'm wired, but I just don't like it when people people are left out of things. And I haven't always worked in the wedding industry. And it's not just the wedding industry that this is a problem. But again, using myself as an example, one thing that I noticed when I started working in the wedding industry was that as much as we stand for love and celebrating love, so many people often not on purpose leave others ideas of love out. They just focus on like if you Google weddings, you're going to see a white couple, a straight couple, a young couple, probably a thin couple, a couple with money, 
in a white wedding dress and a black tux or suit, all of that has become like the stereotype or the default in your head of like what a wedding and a wedding day and a couple getting married looks like. But that is in fact not accurate. There's lots of people who get married in lots of different ways. They're not all straight couples. They're not all thin couples. They're not all young couples. They're not all couples without children. Like they're not all first marriages. There's so many different categories there. And so it just, it bothered me on a personal level to kind of be welcomed into this industry that says we care about love and celebrating love. And yet we're leaving all these people out of the conversation. And so that's kind of where that started for me. But so I just, as a writer, I like to lean in on my expertise and say there are words that you can use that will tell people subtly that they are welcomed and you notice them and you care about them and you want them. And there's words that you could use that don't do that. And the more you use the inclusive words, the more comfortable your customers will feel. And there is a business benefit to that, which is if they feel comfortable and they feel represented, they will probably buy from you versus if they didn't feel that way. So there's a lot of things you can do. My industry is the the wedding industry. So like an easy one that I like to use all the time is stop saying bride everywhere. Like if somebody comes to your website and says, welcome bride, congratulations on your engagement. Like you're already losing 50% of the population. You're losing the groom. What if there's two grooms? Now you're losing the entire couple. What if it's the father of the bride looking for something? Now you're losing the dad, the brother, the best man, whoever it is. So like, let's stop going after that. But it's not just exclusive to the wedding industry. Like, let's stop walking into a room full of women and saying, hey, guys, because there aren't any guys in that room. And you would never walk into a room full of men and say, hey, ladies, you wouldn't do that. We just we just don't do that. And so you're subtly telling people in by using certain words over others that they are you don't see them. Mm hmm. Interesting. So can you give some examples for people who maybe are listening to this and want to be more inclusive, how they can do that? Like what steps they can take to be more inclusive? Let me say this. Some tips for people would be paying attention to your images in addition to your words. So let's use, if you're going to use stock photos or something like that, let's make sure that we're seeing different body sizes, different ages, different races, LGBT couples or people in general, which again, it's a little easier to say LGBT when you're talking about two people together, because that's kind of the definition of it most of the time. But in terms of your words, which are half of that equation, there's so many different categories, Kelly, is what makes it hard. So like gender is a common category. So not saying, hey, guys, when you're talking to a group of mixed gender people or a gr- group of women, just say, hey, ladies, if you're t- if your target audience is women, then say, welcome, lady or hey, girl or whatever. Like, don't be afraid to use the term for somebody if you know who you're talking to. Ethnicity is a good one. So after 2020 and all of the racial unrest and social justice movements that came out of the murder of George Floyd, like Black Lives Matter became a really big topic. And so that's top of mind for a lot of people. And people of color, POC, is a term that you can use to describe a group of people of mixed ethnicities. 
But if you are not actually trying to talk to those people, if you're just trying to talk to black people, then just say black. It's okay. There's nothing. It's not a dirty word. There's nothing wrong with it. If you know who you're talking to, like it's not called people of color lives matter. It's called black lives matter. Like we're saying, hey, this is who I'm talking to. So for you listening, think about who are you trying to talk to? And then just think about what are some ways that I specifically know who this person is? Like if you are a service-based business, let's say you're a house cleaner serving Seattle, Washington, USA, then you don't need to be inclusive of the entire world's geography. You're only serving Seattle. It's fine to leave other areas out. Say we don't go to Canada. We don't go to Portland. We're in Seattle. Think about that with your language for other areas too of the people who you're talking about. So if you're working with women, say women. If you're working with men, say men. If you're not, then don't add a gender when it doesn't need to be there. That same principle applies across sexuality, religion, race and ethnicity, veteran status, age, body size, same thing. So just think about each of those categories one by one and think to yourself, would this person feel like I am accommodating to them? Yes or no. And if not, then that's probably a sign that you need to change the words that you're using. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And can you talk a little bit too about the use of pronouns? Because I know that of late, you see it more and more, more and more people are jumping on to identifying their pronouns in an, an act of solidarity. But I would like to hear from you how that kind of plays into website copy. So here's what I like to tell people is if somebody doesn't care about something, then they don't care about it. They're not going to notice it. But if they do care about it, then they're going to be looking for that. And it is a big deal to them. So let's use the gender pronouns as an example. So if I am, let's say I am an LGBT woman who is looking to buy a non-traditional wedding dress from a bridal atelier. And so I'm going to be going to that person's website of the bridal bridal shop looking for short dresses, colored dresses that have colored fabric instead of white. I'm So I'm looking visually for those things. I'm looking for pictures of two brides together, things that would tell me, hey, if I go there, I'm going to be welcomed. But I'm also looking for uh, your contact form to see, are you asking me my name? Are you asking me my gender pronouns? Because that's just a sign that the person who runs that business and who's going to be interacting with you recognizes that not everybody fits in that white, straight, rich, thin box. So the gender pronouns just means how do you as an individual want to be referred to? So in my case, my name is Taylor. I am a cisgender woman, meaning I was born as a woman. I identify as a woman and I like to be called she, her, hers. Not everybody fits in that box. And so if you on your about page are saying, Hi, I'm Taylor, she, her. That is a subtle nod to the person reading this who maybe is thinking about that and cares about that. They can tell that that's something you think about and you care about because you put the effort to include it. Same thing like the contact form example that I gave or even on a services or product page saying we accommodate all sizes or we have a wide variety of non-traditional dresses if that's the thing that I'm looking for, whatever. All of that communication will subtly tell that person, hey, you're welcomed here. We're cool with you. Like, please come. You're not going to have a bad experience. It doesn't mean that you will have a bad experience if you don't have those things on your site. But it's, again, if somebody's looking for that, they're looking for that. And that matters to them. And the people who don't know what that means, they're just going to gloss over that and go, oh, okay, like, I don't care. That's not something that matters to me. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So Taylor, you have a free resource for listeners today. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? 
Oh, yeah. So I know that this topic is a lot. And especially for white people, we can feel like confused or embarrassed. There's a lot of pressure of like, oh, I want to be inclusive and, and say the right thing, but I don't really know what to say. And I don't really have anybody to ask. And I put together kind of like my FAQ almost of exclusive versus inclusive words. And so it's just like a quick PDF cheat sheet. It's a few pages that says replace exclusive word bride with inclusive word couple. It's not all focused on weddings. It's a lot of what we just talked about. Like instead of saying mom and dad, say parent or guardian, like things like that. It's it's pretty generic. There's a few wedding specific things, but for the most part, it's generic enough that I think anybody who wanted to download it could get an easy replace this with this and your site will almost immediately become more inclusive. So if you're listening and that sounds like this is something that's important to you and you've been looking for a resource like that, you can go to my website and you can download it. It's on my homepage at the bottom and it's totally free. And we're also, Kelly's going to put a link in the show notes. That way people can get it that way. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link in the show notes how to get that free resource and how to get in touch with you as well, Taylor, for anyone who might have more questions or whatever after listening to this episode. So we'll make sure we link all of that good stuff there. And I like to always end these episodes with kind of that one like actionable thing. So when listeners finish this episode and walk away from here, what's one thing that they should do today to get sort of that step closer to having a more inclusive website or a more effective website? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you could do is just start treating your website like your number one sales and marketing tool, because that is in fact what it is. And again, it's not necessarily the most popular thing being said out there. All these marketing coaches and gurus are saying... Instagram, Pinterest, Clubhouse, Twitter, whatever is the latest flavor of the month social media thing. But the point is, if you don't have a good website, then all of that work and the money and the time that you're spending on that is not going to turn into anything. It's not going to sell your services or your products for you. So my recommendation and my one piece of advice is treat your website like the number one sales and marketing tool that it is. Invest some time, some money into it, and it will sell your services or your products for you. If done well. Yes, I, I love that advice. And I think it's a really easy thing for people to do today to grab your resource and just go in and swap out some of those words. Like it would take five minutes to change the word husband into the word partner. And it's just such a great move in allyship and advocacy and inclusiveness and no harm can come from doing that. So I think that's a really important message too. just go out there and make a couple of quick changes. It's all it takes to be more inclusive. Taylor, thank you so much for your generosity, sharing all of your expertise. I really loved what we talked about today and I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing so openly with everyone today. Oh, absolutely. And Kelly and anybody listening, I'm a safe space. So whether it has to do with inclusive language or it has to do with just website and sales, I don't ever want anybody to feel like embarrassed or awkward asking. And so feel free to email me, DM me on Instagram, like whatever. I'm always happy to give answers to questions, help people because I just kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning. It's about serving, not selling. And if you do a good job serving authentically, then the sales will come naturally. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but they will come. So please feel free. Don't feel weird or embarrassed to reach out and ask questions about certain words or what goes on the homepage or whatever. Amazing. Thank you again. 
Being inclusive in your website copy tells people that you see them and that you welcome and appreciate their business. I love Taylor's example of looking at your website like it's your home, warm and inviting. And like your home, your website should say something about you. People buy from people, not companies. So being sure to personalize your website and include your story will build a relationship that will have your customers coming back and even sharing your business with the people they care about. I know it's uncomfortable to talk about yourself sometimes, but as Taylor says, your about page is one of the most important spaces on your website, so show it some love and be sure to include a professional-looking photo so everyone can attach your face to your business and your name. This was a great conversation, and I hope you walk away from this episode motivated to give your own website a quick checkup. To learn more ways to connect with Taylor, please visit today's show notes at kellylawson.ca slash 060. And once again, I'm so grateful that you tuned in today. Be sure to leave a review on iTunes if you like these episodes. And until next week, Workshop Warriors. Thanks for listening to the Workshop Weekly Podcast, the show where no dream is too big and no topic is too small. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.theworkshopweekly.com or leave a review on iTunes. And we'll see you next week for another action-packed episode, you Workshop Warrior, you.